At Emory University's Guizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you change business for the better. And in an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark. To achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Guizueta Effect. Hi, I'm Melanie Buckmaster, Director of Communications for Emory University's Guizueta Business School and your host. Today I'll be joined by Donna Peters. We'll take a look at career strategies for high performers who want a meaningful and fulfilling life. We'll discuss what defines a me-suite mindset and how it can be leveraged to achieve success. We'll dig into how to apply C-suite principles such as core values, optimum operations, and freshness and relevancy to our whole lives to lead with purpose, planning, and power. Donna is an executive coach, award-winning author and podcaster, and an adjunct lecturer for Guizueta Business School's Executive MBA program. She is the founder and CEO of a career coaching organization, The Me Suite. Her book, Options Are Power, helps high performers understand how the pursuit of your next career success and a focus on a healthy lifestyle are inextricably intertwined. Welcome, Donna. Thank you so much. It's a thrill to share a mic with you. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's start off. In your book, Options Are Power, you ask a key question. How can I achieve the pinnacle of my career and have a life I cherish too? You talk about incorporating many of the principles you've learned in the C-suite into how you run your life. Can you tell us more about what you've coined the me-suite mindset? So the me-suite is a play on C-suite. And if you think about a C-suite, the C stands for chief. So inside most businesses, whether for-profit or not-for-profit, there is a C-suite team of chiefs, chief financial officer, chief executive officer, chief marketing officer, chief, chief, chief. And the C-suite really does only three things at their core. They marshal the core values of the company, they keep the day-to-day -day operations running smoothly, and they stay fresh and relevant for the future of that organization. And we should be doing nothing different from the C-suite for our own personal lives. What are our personal core values? How do we keep our own day-to-day -day running smoothly? And how do we, as individuals, stay fresh and relevant for the future that we want to live in? So my work in business, I uh, retired from a 20-year career as a partner, a senior partner in strategy consulting. And one night on an airplane, I was thinking about all these amazing disciplines that these C-suite leaders were bringing to complex problems every day. And I thought, I need a financial strategy for my life. I need a personal brand for how I am showing up in the universe. I need to think like a chief operations officer for running my own household. Why don't I bring all of those disciplines that the C-suites are using to run these companies we most admire into our own personal lives? And that's how the Me-Suite was born. You talk about your um, background in consulting, and you also have a background in acting, coaching. Um, you've had a really, really full and promising career. Uh, you also discuss what a foundational role your family has played in, in who you are and how you operate. So what led you to found the Me Suite and to write this book? 
my father owned a business that manufactured medical examination tables. And I grew up in that factory on the shop floor. I was staple gunning. I was hot gluing. I ran a drill press uh, standing on blocks because I was too short to reach the, reach the pieces. <laughs> but I think that that experience, uh, watching my father go to work every day doing something that he loved, made an enormous impression on me. And I didn't want to be making medical examination tables, I guess, for my whole life. But the the fact that he had found something that excited him and uh, could all, he could also make a living doing it, I think, made an enormous impression on me. I later learned from an incredibly genius, wonderful woman, uh, Dr. Marjorie Blum, who is on faculty at Emory also, which is where I met her. She taught me in her psychology area of expertise that there is nothing about our leadership style that has not been impacted by our family experiences. And I think about that a lot when I think about career choices that I've made, uh, changes that I've made. I always want to keep an open mind about being curious and continually learning. Uh, my core values are curiosity, freedom, and respect. And watching my father model that in himself, in finding that match between doing what you love but also uh, working in a way that allows you to maintain these other priorities that you have. Mm -hmm. I was just very fortunate to see that modeled, and I, I hope that everyone has somebody in their life like that that they can use as an example. And you mentioned that high performers move in and out of phases mm. throughout their careers, and several personas show up time and again. So you talk about um, different personas like Exploration Erica, Crossroads KT, and Hamster Wheel Hank. Can you tell us more about these phases and tips each of us can use if we find ourselves in these career moments throughout yeah. life? I think we're all going to look at ourselves in the mirror at some point and recognize I am Exploration Erica right now. Mm -hmm. And the self-talk of an Exploration Erica persona is I want more. The persona that I also equally see that we will sometimes find looking back at us in the mirror is Crossroads KT. And this person I identified as the persona of, I must now make a big decision. I've got to decide. Do I stay inside this industry, change industries? Do I go back to school, et cetera? And then the third persona that will equally probably appear at some moment back in that mirror is, as you said, hamster wheel Hank. And this is the person who says, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I don't know where to turn. I'm not sure what my options may be, but whatever it is, this isn't it. Mm -hmm. I have had a chance to do research now uh, by the end of 20. 22, I will have about 500 research subjects. Yeah. But this re these personas came from that research of what are the most likely ways people show up when they are pursuing executive coaching. Mm -hmm. And they are typically falling in one of these three personas, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. or they're a little bit of a combination. But I'm hoping that by helping people see what these scenarios are, they'll find, I kind of look like that one, and, and therefore, what next? What do I do now that I have self-awareness that I'm a Crossroads KT? Mm -hmm. If I'm Exploration Erica, what could be my next best steps? Mm -hmm. And that has been the foundation of all of that work. Nice, yeah. And it's interesting, too, that you can move in and out of different phases throughout life. Um, you might be Erica at one point and Hank yeah. at another. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it is so important to realize that because I chuckle when somebody tells me what they're going to be doing in five or ten years because I think, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Because life changes and things happen and our priorities change. And 
maybe earlier in my career, I'm Exploration Erica, where I'm all about the next best career move that gets me the fastest promotion and maximizes my compensation, et cetera. And then a life event happens and I maybe move into a Crossroads KT situation where I have to make a different decision about the role that work plays in my life. Mm -hmm. And that really is the magic here. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe that we have a life and the decisions that we make about work are critically important to fueling the life that we want to live. Just like a CEO will revisit their strat plan about every quarter, do the same for you. What is your strategic plan? Revisit it maybe every quarter, six months, at a minimum on your birthday uh, for the role that work is playing in your life and do you need to make a change based on maybe what persona you are at this moment at this time. Well, here at Coisueta, you focus on the crossroads between business and neuroscience. Mm. And your mantra is options are power. Mm. Can you explain the science behind this mantra and how options help put you in control of your future? When I retired from strategy consulting, I went back to school and I wanted to study and find more scientific quantitative evidence for all these things that I was intuitively knowing and seeing. I wanted to find more scientific rigor behind what happens in our brains when we are feeling stuck, when we are not completely satisfied, when maybe we're disappointed or maybe we have um, extreme optimism and, and, and we're, we're faced with so many choices we can't quite decide. So when I went back to school, I went to study the neuroscience of leadership, and, and it was here at the trifecta program with the Goizueta Business School Leadership Development with the psychology department of the medical school and the Tibetan Buddhism Center for Mindfulness. And as part of that study, I was learning about the amygdala part of our brain that you and I would have grown up thinking of fight or flight. It's the part of our brain that when we feel stuck, when we feel trapped, when we feel we don't have options or, or are paralyzed by choices, it's the part of the brain that activates typically negative things. It can increase cortisol in the body, it can, which has a, a stress-inducing effect. It can impact the quality of our sleep. If it goes to extremes, it can have outcomes of anxiety and depression. But we also know from the neuroscience of the brain, when we feel that we have choices, we're in control. Mm -hmm. And when you're in control, you're in the power position. So that part of my understanding, you know, coupled with my business experience, led me to this mantra of options are power. Mm -hmm. Because options give us the right, not the obligation, to make a change. And if you have options, you're always in control of your next best move. So you're running to something, not from something. And again, that positioning and that mindset is so important in us feeling at any moment as our life curves go up and down and, and different things change about our lives, the moment we decide that we need something different, that we want something different, you're already primed to go get it. Well, let's talk a little bit deeper about this. So. In order to navigate the synthesis of our personal life and career, you suggest adopting the Me Suite philosophy. And this includes building discipline in a few different key areas. And we'll talk about many of these throughout our discussion today. But first, I want to talk about the absolute necessity of developing core values. So core values are interesting because they are what you are now not what you wish you were. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so the easiest way to describe them is your core values are the non-negotiables that you have for yourself and for others. And they become these beautiful filters for helping you know what to say no to. Most people will have consistent core values that go with them, support them through their different life journeys. And I do find sometimes we adjust and add as certain major moments occur in a life. They don't replace core values. I don't think that we change them on a whim because we wish to. I do think that they are fundamental and we can add them as new uh, revelations occur to us, usually around major events like the death or loss of a loved one or the birth of a child. So I mentioned my core values are curiosity, freedom, and respect. And through the pandemic period, I have added vitality. Mm. I had just learned so much more about where I spend my energy and focus on trying to control the controllables of health. Uh, and the whole heightened awareness around what it means to be healthy physically and mentally through the pandemic. Um, I, I had a new awakening around how, how critical that component was. You mentioned core values being really, really important both for companies, organizations, and individuals. So what are some examples of companies that lead by their core values? I want to share an example of where a core value was violated. That's yeah. sometimes the easiest way to explain. Uh, Starbucks is a company that I have respected for a very, very long time. They are a very values-driven company. They're in the news a lot today with a, a lot of uh, personnel challenges around unionization, et cetera. A couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, there were two African-American men in a Starbucks store who were, had not bought a coffee and they were waiting on some other people to meet them there. And a barista called the police on them. And so some of your listeners may be familiar with, with this event happening. The day that that happened, the CEO of Starbucks had a media event and he talked about how the core value of Starbucks was violated in that moment. And it was one of their core values called creating a sense of warmth and belonging. Mm -hmm. And because the core value existed and was violated and the CEO owned it, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, about 9,000 Starbucks stores were shut down for a day so that the employees could be uh, better trained on the core value and how to, uh, to behave in more honor and service of that value. Was Starbucks perfect? Of course not. And no one will be, company or individual. But again, a core value is a non-negotiable for what you expect of yourself and others. And it's the grounding and the foundation that's when it's violated, you take action. And mistakes will happen. But the way that that one was owned and followed up with, I think, is a beautiful example of why core values aren't just important for companies. They're also important for what we do in our own personal lives. Um, and it's a company that I personally track. Another one that listeners may find very interesting is Airbnb. Um, Airbnb has a core value of uh, accessibility of, of home and the accessibility of giving people a place to, uh, to be and to interact with each other, like sense of family, et cetera. When the refugee crisis was peaking um, over this last year, Airbnb started offering free housing to refugees. Mm. It was an example of how the core value of the company as a moneymaker was also being used to say, but this is who we are and this is what we do. I'm not changing my company and my values. I'm just applying the value in a different situation. 
uh, still staying true to the to the core value of the company. So I hope that uh, all of your listeners uh, know their company's core values and they aren't just posters yellowing in a break room. And more importantly, look for companies that and how they respond when the core values are being violated, because that's really the magic here for us as a company or as an individual. That's so interesting. Um, well, something else you talk a lot about in the book is primacy mm. and another core area of the MeSuite philosophy. Can you explain primacy's significance and strategies that high performers can use to figure out what matters most in a given moment? I love the way you use the word high performer because that's really the challenge here, isn't it? You're a high performer and so therefore you're really firing on all cylinders and you're really multitasking constantly and you're really thinking all the balls are in the air and you don't want to drop any. It's kind of inherent in what has made a high performer so successful is the very thing that has made it so difficult for a high performer to prioritize what truly has most importance for me right now. And again, this changes over time. So we need a rhythm to check in and make sure that this primacy today is still still my primacy in six months from now. But the magic here in forcing us to have a self-realization of primacy, meaning what matters most right now, is not everything can be equally important. And if, we, if you think everything can be equally important, you're delusional. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. <laughs> so here's what I like to do to challenge people to think about what truly is most important to you right now. I'm going to give an example. Would that help? Yeah. In my career coaching practice, I sometimes have people come and they say, uh, I don't really care about title. I'm not really about hierarchy and org charts. I just want to have fair compensation, and I feel that I need, I, I'm not being fairly compensated. I want to look for another job. Then they start, start job hunting, and the, offer, the interviews start coming in. They, they might start to see a couple of offers or job salary ranges, and something might come across manager, 350000 a year. Mm-hmm. And then the client looks at it and says, well, the salary is really great for me, and that's quite an increase from what I had before, but manager? I mean, oh, come on, I'm not going to go take a step back again and be a manager. I was expecting something like director. Like, okay, okay, back this up just a moment. There's more to what has primacy for you right now than salary because you are responding to title. So something in here is also important to you. Is it more about the title of you signaling that you're rising up hierarchical ranks? And if so, be honest about that. Don't apologize for it. Just be honest that that matters to me because that will probably direct you to different types of recruiting. For you and me, if I were sitting down with you and we were saying, well, I don't really know what my primacy is right now, I would ask you to think about Uh, career goals. Is it a career goal that has primacy for you right now? And that's usually around a promotion or a title. Uh, It's usually around anything that's about your significance in the career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might be authoring a piece of thought leadership or something, Mm -hmm. writing a book. Second is finances. This doesn't mean go out and make as much money as you possibly can and sell your soul to the devil, but it just means Right now, your financial situation, whether it's clean up or grow it as much as you can, has primacy for you. The third area is personal growth, and this could be for some people, I haven't played my violin in 15 years, and I really want to pick it back up, and I want to try to go again to play for the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Uh, For some people, it might be learning another language. It might be traveling, but personal growth. 
that might be primacy for you at this moment, at this time. Family is one in, in whatever beautiful way you define family. Relationships is another, and that's anything that isn't family, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That might be friends, it might be colleagues. Um, I have health in there, which is physical and mental. And thinking, uh, a great example, I was uh, diagnosed as pre-diabetic many, many years ago. And I wasn't really motivated to make a big change. And so while I didn't like that diagnosis, that didn't have primacy for me mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to take any action to really move a needle on it for quite some time. And then spirituality. Mm-hmm. Spirituality here could mean organized religion. Maybe I want to get my kids back to synagogue. Or it could be things more around mindfulness and meditation. You emphasize the importance of primacy and and also talk about how it helps you learn how to say no. Mm. Um, Can you help us understand why saying no is such an important skill and how to make it easier? The truth is strategy. Really, the truest definition of a strategy is knowing what to say no to. So if you find yourself struggling with, well, I have so many options, I don't know which one to pick, or I got invited to that event and it's really interfering with my schedule, I'm not sure if I should go to it, you don't have a strategy for how to make decisions about prioritizing your time, which kind of goes back to to primacy in many, many ways. I have some clients who will have an intention for this week, and my intention is to say no to something (laughs) unapologetically. Mm-hmm. right? Say no unapologetically. So I have it on there, be, not just because no is hard for high performers. I have it on there mostly. It's because if you find no hard, it's probably because you don't have this upfront work done, which is really understanding what is most important and do you have a strategy to go get it. In your book, you talk about branding as well. And you say everyone has a personal brand, whether you want one or not. Uh, So it's really, really important to cultivate your brand to work for you. In the new, often remote work world, it can be really hard to break through the screen. Can you share tips on how to make your personal brand land in a remote work environment? Personal brand is what people think and feel when they hear your name. And I love what you said, that we have one whether we want one or not. So we need to own it. Some people think that Working on our personal brand might feel a little manipulative, maybe a little disingenuous, and I feel the total opposite. You're going to have that brand whether you want it or not, so just own it and, and develop that brand in such a way that it signals what you want to attract. Think about your brand, what people think and feel when they hear your name. Think about signaling that brand through the media that is available to you. One is while I'm on a screen with you. One is maybe my LinkedIn activity, if it's a business environment. What am I liking, sharing, posting on LinkedIn? You're signaling your personal brand, even in the activity that you have in social media. In your Zoom world or whatever, Microsoft Teams, et cetera, you can think about your environment. Uh, What is behind you? What happens while you're in the meeting? How are you dressed? And there's no right or wrong answer here. The main goal is intentionality. So if you want to be projecting a more you know, serious environment, then your background's going to look a little different uh, than if I want to show you that I am more of a startup environment and anything goes and I'm okay if the dog's always barking. I don't mind either of those as long as they're intentional decisions because you are constantly emitting a personal brand, subconsciously or consciously, and I vote for consciously. 
Because if you're constant, consciously doing it, then you are signaling what you want to attract, and that's where your ability to develop options comes from. Mm-hmm. Because you're starting to develop in others when they do hear your name, they're going to start thinking of your name in the way that is helping to communicate what you want to be and who you are and what value you bring. What about relationships? That's another key part of the MeSuite mindset. How can higher quality relationships lead to more options and therefore more power? And what tips can you give us to overcome that awkward feeling many of us encounter when trying to network? Oh, it's so true, isn't it? (laughs) Networking always feels slimy. That's what I hear people use the word slimy all the time. So I like to think of relationships and networks as bank accounts. And throughout our life, we're constantly making deposits and withdrawals in those relationship accounts. And the goal is to keep them in balance. So if you think about uh, networks in your life, some of them are what I call really, really hot. If you're thinking of a temperature scale, some of those relationships are really hot where if I text you today, you're going to respond to me within about 20 minutes and probably with an emoji. Mm -hmm. And relationships go all the way down to temperature scale to frozen. And frozen, I would call the really unfortunate relationships that are not helpful to you. And you maybe need to be shutting them off, tuning them out, because they're just not helpful for you in what you're trying to get done with your life. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle would be something like somebody that I met today for the very first time, and we're probably room temperature. We have lots to build from. We have a lot of places to grow. We are wired to maybe want to help each other and, and, and be good people. But we're room temp because we don't yet have a history or any connection with each other if I've just randomly met you. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in between those temperature differences is everything else. It might be because I haven't spent time with you yet. It might be that you and I went to the same school. We've never met, but we went to the same school. So I am pre-wired to want to help you. Mm-hmm. And I like to think about that as a grid a temperature grid that you can then plot your various relationships on and then decide what type of relationship strategy do you want to execute to go get what you want. And again, sometimes what you want might be internal to the company that you already work for and maybe you just want to move into a new area. So you start networking in a way to move into that new area. Other people might be looking externally to make a big major job change, and so you might start to use your alumni network and think strategically about informational discussions that help you get connected to new and different people. Mm -hmm. Some of these networks might be more about you want to activate a passion that you have had and maybe turned off, and so it might not have anything to do with work. It's just about maybe getting reengaged in something as simple as a book club or something as complicated as learning an instrument. So again, the theme is intentionality and thinking about for those moments in your life when you're going to need something from someone, have you been depositing for others along the way as well? So because you can't always be taking, although you're going to have moments in your life when you're the taker. Mm -hmm. But where are also are you giving and, and depositing into those relationships so you can build them over time? I have an example that I use that is just for me and maybe doesn't work for other people, but I I encourage you to find your own version of it. Mm -hmm. And I call it Think You, Tell You. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy here is, Donna, if I see a book that reminds me of someone that I haven't spoken to in a couple of years, Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to email them or private message them on LinkedIn, or I'm going to send them a text, depending on what I have about them. I'm going to find their contact information. I'm going to snap a picture of that book, and I'm going to send them a note when I can and just say, Thomas, I saw this today, and I thought of you. I hope you're well. It's genuine. I didn't make it up. I did truly think of Thomas when I saw that book, and I do truly think he will be interested in it. And I took the 30 seconds required to let him know. And I don't do it because I expect something back. It was a genuine, authentic moment. But it's an example of just contribute to your universe when you need things and when you don't need things and find your own version of that uh, to stay connected. Well, you shared today and in your book that your core values are curiosity, freedom, respect, Mm -hmm. and now vitality. Uh, So what's fueling your curiosity these days, and what gives you hope for the future? I've added a question to my vocabulary. My new favorite question is, what can you teach me? Hmm. And I started to use this when I was working with summer interns who are several generations different from me. And I knew that I had a lot to learn from them, but I was afraid that they might not always feel bold enough to share and teach. And so I've started this just new way of, you know, teach me, teach me. What, what can you teach me today? I want to learn. I want to learn. Uh, and that's not formal learning in a, in a classroom, uh, but it's just a, a mindset that I'm open to learn new things. I just love to surround myself with, uh, with people that like to teach and with people that are uh, just inherently curious. Mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope that I can continue that for the rest of my life. Well, you just finished season four of your Me Sweet podcast. So tell me a little bit about that and what we can expect next. Oh, wonderful. I also am looking for ideas for season five. If anybody wants to ping me with ideas, I'd love to hear from you. So the Me Sweet podcast is interview based. We have about 200 published interviews right now. The podcast was finalist for Best Business Podcast in 2020 and 2021, so we're very proud of that, but it's all based on the guests. They're guest interviews with all sorts of types of professionals, business professionals. Some of them are startup owners. Some of them are CEOs of the largest companies in the world. My youngest is 25. My oldest is 65, and they're from just about every geography on the planet. So lots of different variety uh, in diversity of thought and career experiences. And everyone is different. And so there's usually something in there for everyone, depending on what particular type of listen you're in the mood for. But the common denominator is we are all career-driven and life-minded individuals. And I would just uh, highly recommend people check it out. It's on all podcast apps and a free resource. And again, if anybody has ideas for season five, I am all ears. Wonderful. I can't wait to continue to listen. And um, it's been wonderful having you today. Thank you very much. And whatever it is that people out there listening want, I hope they get it. And just remember, options are power. They will give you the right, not the obligation, to make a change. Donna is an executive coach, award-winning author, and podcaster, and an adjunct lecturer for Guisbetta Business School's Executive MBA program. She recently authored a leading book, Options Are Power, Career Strategies for High Performers Who Want a Life. She joined today to talk about how to develop a me-sweet mindset, offering advice on how to lead our work and lives with purpose, planning, and power. 
For more information about the Guizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz slash podcast.